Okay, perfect. Hi, everybody. It's Tay. Welcome back to the PSW podcast. I'm here today with Brittany, who is a DSW worker and a longtime friend of mine. And we're going to dive in today a little bit into the DSW title, what that exactly means, um, you know, their scope and a lot of stuff that they struggle with in their profession, which is a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. So I'll just let Brittany, you know, say hello and we'll dive right into the nitty gritty. All right. Hi, everyone. Like Taylor said, my name is Brittany um, and I have been a DSW, which stands for a developmental service worker for about five years. Um, and I've been working in the field ever since I graduated school. That's great. And to just kind of paint the scene, a DSW basically encompasses the same scope almost as a PSW, right? But even then some, can we dive into that? The then some, like I know we're working with people and, you know, people with developmental delay, anything like that with air ADLs. So their activities of daily living, but you can kind of go above and beyond that. So what else can you do as a DSW? So as a DSW, uh, we're primarily found and seen in group homes. So as long as well as the ADLs, we're also doing um, like all the housework. Um, we have to give meds at appropriate timing. And a lot of the clients that we support have high, high aggressive behaviors. So um, we are trained to restrain them if, if need be. As well, we can also be seen in um, school boards um, doing like the EA such work again, working with behaviors, ADLs, that kind of things. Yeah, we, we, we are like a PSW. We just do a little bit more. We have a little bit more responsibility, it seems. Mm -hmm. I think too, there's a common misconception that, you know, your education is not, you know, it's not qualified as a PSW, but I mean, yes, it's two different job titles, but it, if you do just kind of look a little bit deeper than the title, you will realize that your scope encompasses the exact same things as a PSW scope. And you and I have talked about this for a little while now, but I kind of want to bring this to the audience because it was kind of a jaw-dropping moment for me hearing it from you. But as everybody knows, uh, throughout the course of the pandemic, we've been facing staffing shortages. And you personally have been applying to long-term care homes and other facilities to try and help, you know, help the need. And you have been turned away because you're a DSW. So how was that? And also like how mind-blowing is that, that we're in a global, you know, we're in a crisis and you're being turned away. So we'd rather work understaffed than actually just do a little bit of digging, do a little bit of a Google search and, you know, have the realization that, oh, this is the exact same education. She's qualified to do this job. Let's take her on to our unit and, you know, staff our units properly with who we can, you know? So like, how was that for you? And like, how many times are you, like, I don't even know if you remember, but how many times are you turned away? Like this just boggles my mind. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a real big shock. I applied to a couple LTCs. I applied to the hospitals, um, even like home care agencies. My hours were cut at my group home. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see what I can do to give back. Obviously it's a global pandemic and they need, they need warm bodies. Essentially they need people that can do their job appropriately. And 
I had an interview with, with one nursing home and, and they were like, oh, well, we can't offer you a PSW position. And I was like, oh, can I ask why? And they're like, yeah, you're not a PSW. And I was like, well, hold up. I was like, I, I'm not going to put down PSWs. I was like, but I have the same education. Um, I was like, I am trained to work with anybody and everybody, including those that have dementia and or Alzheimer's. Um as well as those that have physical limitations. So I, you know, I kind of got the same education and the same um, experience. And they were like, no, you have to have that P in front of your name. And I was just, I was mind blown. I was like, okay, well, so you're going to work short. Okay. Like I'm offering to work. Um, and I applied to another nursing home and it was the same thing. They're like, you don't have that PSW. And I was like, well, you know, like we're both, it, it is similar. If you compare the scope, it, it's similar. Like, and I thought to myself, I was like, well, don't you guys just need bodies to help? Like you're, we're in a global pandemic and we're in a staffing shortage. Like I thought you would take anybody, but no, they wanted someone to have that P in front of their name, which was really discouraging because I can do the same job. And I like to think I'm really good at my job. Um, And I, and I'm a sponge. So like, you can teach me something and I'll learn it. I'll know it in the back of my hand. So it was, it was very, yeah, it was very discouraging to think, all right, we're just going to work short staffed and our patients are going to suffer. And you went to college for this, right? Like, yeah, this is- I took a two year. It's a, it's a two year. It's the same two year program. Um, again, like the only, the only real difference I would say is like, we're developmental service workers. So we're trained. We have a little bit more experience when it comes to like individuals with developmental and, and physical disabilities and, and that we give meds. Otherwise our scope is basically the same as PSWs. We're all sling and Hoyer trained. We know how to feed. We know how to roll people properly. Like everything is very similar. Um, it's just that we have a different letter in front of our name. Which to me, like you just have to look into it a little bit deeper and kind of connect the dots. And it's kind of shocking to me that we're failing on so many levels, including recognizing other healthcare professions. Like we would rather work understaffed and we would rather burn out our current staff and turn away people that are willing to help and have the education to back it. Right. As of a job title. Exactly. Like mind, it's just mind blowing. As It's crazy. It's, it's like, why do we even have to look at the fact that I have a DSW or whatnot like don't I thought they would just want help like that's what I was like oh you don't want the help like okay well we are like, we are taking people essentially that have no training and exactly. we are training them into you know healthcare aids and things like that and exactly and qualified but you and that's are- what was mind-blowing like hearing stories from other friends and people that are working like in the ICUs and things and you're putting in like baby pay- PSWs and it's like whoa like you know I've been doing this for five six years like you could put someone in like me who knows already how to roll how to prone someone how to do all that and then there's your safety concerns of having a a a PSW who's right out of the field like it's you know you've already got someone that knows what's going on um and it's kind of funny because during the pandemic and, and right on a regular basis my agency hires PSWs we hire PSWs all the time So it's kind of like crazy that like, you know, we can't get any other jobs besides group homes, but PSWs can come to our agency and they obviously do a fabulous job, but it's like, you know, can't we kind of accreditate us as DSWs? We're very, we're, we're not very like, um, 
looked upon like they don't really many people don't know what a, we are uh, even the government had no idea what a developmental service worker is and essentially it's the same same thing as a PSW just like a little different but not much which we could be utilizing in so many ways exactly like I and think I think to this way. day uh there's so um there's one hospital that I know of in particular and when like you apply for PSW jobs they do say developmental service worker or PSW which I think is amazing and phenomenal um and I really hope that like in the future and as time evolves that like every hospital will start to add DSW to um their requirement list because I think again like anyone who can help like we're so short stuff still to this day in hospitals like give us a break like just, yeah like it's crazy. an emergent situation yeah like we I don't know the system is kind of failing in so many more ways oh, for sure it's even being advertised right like we are literally turning away qualified staff because Absolutely. of the job title when it is people's jobs to recognize job titles and job scopes and hire mm-hmm. accordingly so that really blew my mind um it blows my mind again that, you know, we're recognizing healthcare aides, which, you know, right. as we should, but we're recognizing healthcare aides as qualified workers. And we are turning away people like yourselves with college certificates because we think that they're not qualified because they are a DSW and not a PSW. It's just yeah. very, like, very um, silly to to put it plainly oh absolutely like it's it's crazy and like I know a lot of my coworkers that where I currently work at the group home are like this is ridiculous like you know um and it's funny because in Belleville where um at, at so Loyalist is the first college to ever have the DSW program every hospital and nursing home in around Belleville all they want is DSWs they because they they find that they have that the extra, the extra up because they have the developmental um, training with individuals. So it's, it's so weird to think like Belleville's not actually that far from Oshawa, like what, maybe an hour and a half to think that they're accrediting the ESWs out there, but then you come an hour and a half this way and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. You like the association too, like the, the PSW association, OBSWA, you know, we also recognize your scope. So it's like yeah. the the professional association for PSWs is also saying like, yes, she's qualified. Yeah. And yet people are still like, no, no, she's not. And, and that's the, it. yeah. And that's the funny thing is like, you know, I've applied, like I, like we said, I've applied to multiple nursing homes and even bringing that up being like, yeah, like I've talked to the PSW association and they, they a hundred percent agree that I am a qualified individual. Um, and that I'm not real. I'm kind of grandfathered in, if you would say, like as a PSW. And I was like, I pay all the same dues and whatever. I just don't have the P. And they're like, nope, nope, we need the certificate. And I was like, okay. Like, there's not much I can do, but it's just, it's frustrating. That's the frustrating part is there isn't much that you can do. And no. Cool. And, and, you know, you're, you're working in healthcare and yet you still can't do things that really yeah. essentially you are qualified for. Yeah. So I just, that one really got me because again, we would rather work short staff and in unsafe conditions and hire people who are qualified because we can't be bothered to actually just dive deeper into, into what a DSW means. And I also really wanted to shed light too on, you know, I feel like 
other professions are getting, you know, sort of the recognition that they deserve through because of, you know, COVID and the pandemic, which is wonderful. And I really, I really appreciate, you know, the PSW name being brought to the forefront more often now too, because it is an under-recognized job. Oh, for sure. But then I look at you as well and I'm like, people don't even know what you are, what you do so much so as they're turning you away from qualified positions. And we really turn a blind eye to your working conditions and some of the situations that you're put in. And like, I know a lot of PSWs in home care, just, you know, any setting really, we're put in some very unsafe working conditions um, with actual violent patients or residents. And that's also not being addressed sometimes. And I know for you that that is kind of like times a million sometimes in, in your profession And like, just not even to you alone, but in like group homes across the board, because there's no call bell system. There's no walkie talkies to communicate to your colleagues that like something is happening. So can you kind of shed a bit of light on this too? I know you've had something, you know, personal happen to you. And it again, blows my mind that this is kind of allowed and we're kind of, you know, throwing people to the wolves, essentially throwing people who want to just help other people and do their job safely to the wolves and allow them to really actually just get beaten up, physically beaten up at their jobs. Yeah, for sure. So um, like I mentioned previously, uh, group homes are notorious for individuals with high behaviors. A lot of them are dual diagnosed. So there's usually a mental health disorder as well as um, a cognitive impairment. Um, And often along with that comes behavior. So in the agency that I currently work for, we have like set locations that are generally designed um, for behavior locations more because they're just in the middle of nowhere or, you know, what, what have not. Um, So at one of the locations that I've currently worked at, um, I was put into a very unsafe situation. I was attacked by a patient or a client, sorry. Um, and she lives in the basement and there is other units around, but because like Tay said, I don't have a walkie talkie. I have no call bell system. Um, and at that current time, the phone wasn't working and she, or they had uh, sorry, throw in both the lifeline system and all of my own personal devices across the, the room. So I was not, I couldn't go for help. I was screaming for help and no one heard me. And um, finally, after the, the patient released and I was able to get out of the, basically what she had pinned me down, I was able to go and, you know, make the, the reasonable phone calls and get both myself and the patient, um, <clears throat> or sorry, client, um, the, the necessary supports. Um, but yeah, it was a, definitely a little terrifying being pinned down by a client um, who's weighs less than me. And I mean, I'm trained to, yes, put them in a restraint and such. However, um, with our field of work, it has to be the right time, the right place. We have to be very diligent when we put this person in a restraint um, because of ethics and all that kind of things. Like our job can be on the line if it's done incorrectly or done for not a safe reason. Um, I was covered in head to toe from scratch with scratches. My shoulder was popped out um, and I suffered a concussion. So it was a little, it was definitely a little terrifying. And I don't think I've ever really been terrified at work before until this situation. Um, And it definitely took me a little while to edge my way back into approaching this, this person and going in and slowly being like, hello, like, and then, you know, taking my step back, just kind of trying to get myself back to being okay, working one-to-one. Um, 
And like now I've been fighting for walkie talkies to be put in into the location for about, I'd say about two, almost three months now. And I still haven't gotten anywhere. I've been dismissed every time. Um, so it's just really frustrating. And, you know, I keep getting called, hey, can you go down there? And I was like, no, I'm absolutely not until you put in safety measures. I'm not being put in an unsafe situation. And it happens so often and it's just almost normalized in your field that you're going to go in this house with mm-hmm. someone who is violent and, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes they can't control themselves because Absolutely. of you know, their cognitive issues, but yes. we can control putting mm-hmm. in safety measures. We can yeah. you know make things, I don't know, comfortable and safe. No, for sure. And we're just not doing that. And, the and I guess it's a little, I, I guess it's a little frustrating sometimes uh, for myself and probably for you as well as working, you know, working home care. Um, You see a patient or a client get aggressive and you think back to like, or you hear stories of like staff in nursing homes or hospitals being like, oh, like this person did this, but it's like, but hold up, like you guys have the means to call on a call bell or you guys have the, the, the community to call for security and, and put somebody in a, in a safety restraint or, or provide them with a chemical restraint. I don't have, I mean, yes, I have chemical restraints, but I can't get it right away. I've got to, you know, go through other doors and stuff. It's not like I have things at my fingertips. Whereas, you know, with working in facilities, you can yell and someone's going to come, but when you're in a basement and people are above you, they're not hearing you. It's and totally so you shouldn't because you're in a basement and it's loud, but like, still it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's not safe. Um, and I finally spoke up about it because other staff were not. And it's just, it's frustrating. Like we, we don't deserve to get beat up um, at all. Like we don't, it happens. And yes, it's part of our job sometimes for sure, but there is ways that we can prevent it and make it safe. So if it does happen, we're prepared and we have the means of support or communication with other uh, staff. And just kind of shedding a light too on how like traumatic that is for someone as a worker who's just come to show up and do their job. And, you know, the loss of control that you must have felt when you were being pinned to the ground and nobody could hear you calling for help. Like it's a huge deal on so many levels. And I don't know this, so I'm kind of asking you, but are there any mental health supports for people in your position, you know, that do go through events like this or, or are are working with people in vulnerable situations, but also in violent situations? Like is anyone in your corner kind of unpacking things for you as you try to do your job. Yeah, so we do uh, offer, I think, like most re- re- most places, the EA- EIP, EI- EAP or whatever program um, that we can utilize. Um, and usually supervisors are pretty good um, if you've called them because we do have the uh, means to communicate with an on-call supervisor who's on-call 24-7, um, whether that's if that's on the weekend or after four o'clock. Otherwise, we would just contact our personal supervisor. Um, and they were phenomenal throughout the whole process of me being attacked and pinned to the ground. Um, and once I got a hold of a phone, like we were able to, to communicate and get this individual the necessary supports. Um, and I guess, you know, so the necessary supports may have been calling 911 or requesting, you know, police backup. And I, I know this is something we've talked about and how frustrating it is. Um, 
that these individuals go to the hospital just like you and I would if we were struggling mentally and and they go to seek support and we go with them as some are nonverbal or some just don't have the means to communicate and they're often dismissed. They're they're very much often dismissed and sent home because they're seen as while they live in a care facility, they don't need to be seen by a psychiatrist or they can't communicate with us. So you may as well go home. It's kind of like a breakdown in communication. It almost seems like they're putting a little bit like it's almost like there's too much faith, but being put into these group homes as like a a place where people can just go and heal and tackle their health problems when really it's not it's not a facility. It's a group home, you know, it's their house. It's it's their house, just like yours and eyes. And and when you and I or anybody else needs to go to the hospital or the doctors, we go and it's no different and it shouldn't be any different for these guys. And I, and I really strongly like, like voice that like they deserve the necessary supports. And I have supported multiple people to seek mental health support and have been dismissed every time and just sent home. And it's like, okay, well, then we'll be back in two days because like they deserve support. And if they can't tell you that I'm going to do it for them. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I really hope in the future. And hopefully this message gets across to everyone that these people both in nursing homes and group homes and wherever, even if they can't communicate, they do deserve to still be treated like a human being and get the necessary support. I think just to kind of go off of that too, it's like, again, a breakdown in communication and sometimes not even like to kind of be in the middle here. Like maybe people don't even realize again, the scope of a PSW or DSW, what they do a group home and what that actually has to offer someone or not offer someone. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like pushing, you know, one person to another. And again, that's how we create gaps in our system. And that's how people fall through, including yourself, because now you're being faced with people who really have a medical condition that needs to be diagnosed, but, and, and, you know, maintained or, you know, cured, whatever word you want to use. And they're sending them back to you, which really is not the cure. Um, You don't have the scope to fix them, Mm -hmm. but now you're being put in a situation where they could be unsafe. You know, maybe someone has a UTI and that's escalating their behaviors. And now you go back to the group home with them Mm -hmm. with no walkie talkies, no call bell. They decide that they're going to punch you in the face because they have a UTI and they're at a facility. So it's fine. But now, you you know, you're concussed again. You've gotten concussed twice in like a month or two months yeah, yourself. Yeah. Like this is where the breakdown in communication is happening. Like things actually aren't being dealt with and we're not even dealing with them safely at this point. I really hope that at least people who are watching and hearing you speak, this podcast can serve not only as a platform, but a platform for bridging the communication gaps here. More people will realize that, this is a 911 situation. Like workers are being assaulted, going through traumatic events that really like it could be prevented. You know, how okay. different would your situation have been if you had a call bell or if you would exactly. have to do a walkie-talkie? You know yes. what I mean? Like it's just why aren't these things happening? And I feel like they're not happening because no one's talking about them. No one's <laughs> absolutely yeah. A lot of my staff that I've worked with, they're just like hush hush. And I'm like, no, like I'm not because this isn't, I mean. I always think about the patient or individual first. I mean, it's not fair to them either because this might be a mean, their means of communicating that they're not doing it on purpose. Like you said, it's very, very common for um, any individual, either 
if they're elderly or have an impairment to develop a UTI. And normally that is the cause, which is fine. So we get them the means of support, but sometimes before the support is given, they are aggressive. And, and, you know, for myself, I always look at it, well, you know, they're not, that's not who they are. And I know, and I know that, but when, you know, it's happening in the moment, you're like, oh, okay. Like what's going on. And then you advocate for support and you're just like, as well as getting the medical support, you're like, can we have a look at like the cognitive side thing as well? Like, I believe there's something going on and it's like, nope, UTI, see you later. And, um, you know, I often feel, I often feel bad because, you know, there's times when I've had to call an ambulance, um, because if not safe, I'm not able to transport the client safely. And, you know, a lot of, we know, both of us know that a lot of people, when they see an authority figure, they, you know, they, their behaviors instantly change and, uh, um, they're a whole new person, which is fabulous. But again, like it's, it, for me, it feels like I'm racing resources, right? Because I've called 911 to support, to get this patient safely to hospital to be seen. And then they're great the whole ride there. And you're like, oh, so like, that's just how I feel. And I know a lot of my fellow coworkers feel the same. We're wasting resources, but what other option do we have when we're not given double staffing to transport someone to the hospital. If we had a double staff, we could do it in our vehicle, no problem. Cause you could take them in safely to like the ER or such. But if you don't, you've just got to call 911. And, you know, unfortunately that is re- wasting resources because it isn't a 911 emergency, but it's a safety concern. Yeah. Because too, you also drive people in your car, right? No, we have company vehicles. Okay. But you're in a car and you're driving. Yes. So like, again, if, if you don't have that other person, like your other colleague to help you out here, that person that you're transporting has some sort of mental breakdown of some sort, or just decides to flip the switch and get violent with you while you're driving, you know, it's a major. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I get why you would call an ambulance and, you know, you would get the medics to, to bring them in and it just, it sucks that that's the resource that you have. You know what I mean? Like I completely sympathize or empathize with you on that because it's like, why did I, why did I just call a team of like three to four people when really all I needed was like another DSW with me or like, yeah, anyone. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, that's incredibly complicated. And I think just going through everything that you've gone through, you know, the lack of education about your job, um, being turned away from jobs when you really shouldn't be, um, being under-recognized, being put in really unsafe situations, literally being beat up on the job. And that's just a part of the job, which really like it isn't, and it shouldn't be. And it's, I know here and there, like we will get, you know, the, the cut or the bite or whatever oh, for that sure. really happens, but like this stuff that is happening to you, you're literally being beat up and pinned to the ground and punched and kicked and scratched blood falling down your face. Like, I remember you telling me about that and you're just sitting there with blood dripping down your face. Like, how are we starting to label that as a part of the job? You know what I mean? I think this whole hush hush culture too, is just like, 
gasoline to a flame for that stuff. Absolutely. And I, I also think it comes down as well to manage to management. Sometimes like we kind of need to reevaluate, um, the, the clients that are at this location and make a decision, you know, are they safe to be living in a community like setting, or do they need something more intensive or, um, some more psychiatric support? Like, can we offer these means to support them? And unfortunately that's not done, um, as often as it should be. Like, I feel we should be looking at them and be like, well, you know, it's kind of out of our scope to be doing such things. Let's send them to somewhere like Ontario Shores or um, treatment facilities that are trained to do this and that have the supports and the walkie-talkies and the emergency call bells and and such that can that are more specialized, I would say. Um, I mean, I know what I'm doing and I know how to to do it safe, do it as safe as possible, but I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or can't just like whereas at least if they're at these facilities um they can get the means to support themselves and then hopefully get back to the group home or a different living situation yeah that makes total sense it's just kind of you need more resources yeah you're using resources that you're kind of just being forced to use but really just feel unnecessary at times Mm -hmm. oh for sure yeah and and you know we kind of wonder why people are burning out sometimes too, but (laughs) if you just listen to like five minutes of you talking about your job and how, you know, you're literally being punched in the face and concussed and, you know, like no one knows what you actually do and all of this stuff to a certain extent, like that also bleeds into like a lot of other professions in healthcare, which again, it's hush, hush, don't talk about it, but sure we're wondering why people are burning out or what's really happening and what's really happening behind closed doors for some professions like your own people, your clients, your patients are literally turning on you because they have no control and they're physically hurting you. It's caused, it's probably caused you mental trauma. Like I said before, you know, physical trauma, there's just so much contributing to it that we wonder why people walk away or why people aren't okay or why people are crying out for help, you know, Mm -hmm. endlessly. And, you know, with all of that, what keeps you going? Like what keeps you going in your job? Um, so I've been asked that quite a few times, why are you still there? Like you've just, you know, you've suffered this, you've suffered that. And, um, I love my job. I truly love what I do. Um, I love my clients. Some days it's phenomenal. Some days I go to work and we sit and watch movies and, you know, even though they're nonverbal, I have gossip for them about like, you know, the latest things going on, or maybe it's like, oh, I heard a hot, a hot gossip story. And I don't know. I, uh, I keep going for my clients, um, to find them the, the necessary supports and fight for them to get better help and to, and to be seen as, as human beings and not to be seen as a label because often that's something that they suffer with you know they go out they go out in public and maybe they they have different facial features and you know they get the stares and they get the things like that and you know they're human being they have the same heart and the same love to give as you and I they just they just love and they just love a little differently um and they've taught me a lot my patients have taught me to you know take life each one day at a time and to just to just live because life is too short and I making a difference going to work and even if it's just sitting doing a puzzle like I've changed something in their life for that day I've had the same thing like 
you really start to learn to appreciate the small things or even the small things in your own life. Like I found my job has kind of made me realize like, I'm so lucky that I can make myself a cup of coffee or yeah. that I can take, you know, my own showers, you know, like, no, with absolutely. like, you know, like you really do start to appreciate the little things and, and also just kind of romanticize them a little bit too. Cause it's just like, it's a comfort thing at this point that people are robbed of, or just don't have the ability to do anymore. Right. right. So it is really fulfilling to be able to give someone that. And I really, I like that too. Like, I'm really with you on that. And I think that's wonderful that you think like that as well. Um, I really hope to anybody listening here that can actually make a change or is in a, you know, a position of power that people want to do their jobs. Nobody wants to leave, but people need to start giving us the resources to do our jobs properly and actually hearing and validating our concerns instead of brushing them to the side because things aren't getting done and things aren't being done safely. And really it's not only the workers that are suffering, it's the patients that are following, falling through the Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for all of that. I really, I was really jazzed to talk to you about all of this stuff and just hearing your perspective, because I think you just go through so much and people need to hear it and recognize it. So thank you for all of the work that you do. You're just such a lovely person in general. Um, for, like I, I really got back in touch with Brittany for those of you listening when I got diagnosed, well, diagnosed, well, I got COVID in, in the first wave and I needed help walking my pup and Brittany, who I lost touch with for a few years, reached out and was willing to help walk my dog for me it's because I wasn't allowed out of the house and like you were allowed to walk pets so like she showed up to my house like every day and walked my dog and it's just such a lovely giving person and such like a bright light I just she's a wonderful human being and I just really wanted to thank you for being on here and and just letting us into your world for I don't know how long this was 20 minutes half an hour (laughs) Um, No, I really appreciate you having me. It was uh, great to talk about uh, what's going on in my work life and and kind of bring more education to the DSW field of what we are and what we kind of do on a day-to-day. That was wonderful. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to leave with? I I think think that's everything. I think think we we covered a lot of things. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm happy. And I just, yeah. Thank you so much for everything. And uh, for those of you listening, I hope this resonated with you in some way, shape or form. So thanks for supporting the podcast and for hanging around. And I'll see you all in a few weeks or a week. I don't know. I don't know when this is dropping, but I'll find out. (laughs) Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, Britt. See you.